I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 158. Update from last time. You know, Carrie, like in the TikTok of the dick appointment, he'll be back in town in a week and a half. We're on, so it's good. See, you're welcome. He wouldn't have reached out had I not gone willy-nilly with my double tap. Uh, he would have reached out. It's like every two weeks he comes in for drill. Let's And I get drilled. So there's that. But it didn't scare him off. Okay, y'all been together one time. Do you act like you've had it every two weeks? Well, he did reach out the last time, but your girl couldn't. I'm just saying. He, he reached out and I had to say no. But I'm just saying, so you he could have thought that you shut him down. And so by my double tappage, he knew that you wanted to uh, get uh, a double deed, too. <laughs> okay, okay. Thank you. You're welcome. You know who else is welcome? But welcome to the Creepinati. Oh, oh, smooth. So welcome, Alice G. from Illinois. Kathy F. from the UK. Tamara B. from Tennessee. Cal C. from California. Tony S. from Alabama. Stacy C. from Texas. Allison S. from Alabama. We know y'all got each other listening. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Mary Mac D. from Tennessee. We both had a rhyme. Mm-hmm. Lindsay D. from Texas. And Crystal T. from Massachusetts. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. We've seen that a few of y'all, and by a few, we mean a lot, have posted in the Facebook group that y'all have caught up on all of the episodes. And y'all are like, uh, what the fuck do I do now? Well, we were perusing the Patreon page. You know, like all the people who we just welcomed. Mm-hmm. You know the shit that they're getting? They are getting 30 bonus episodes, 30 bloopers. Oh, my favorite. Depending on what tier they're on, Avi. Mm-hmm. 26 I Survived episodes, which is, you know, like from the show. And 25 Milk Carton Mini episodes, which are missing person cases. Yep. And then a shit to A shit toad? Wow. I mean, blooper. <laughs> and a shitload of extra slices. 44 to be exact. Mm. And then a lot of... 31 Nights of Halloween stuff that was just for them. Yeah. So uh, if you're called up or you just need more shit, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Also, I want to plug one more thing. Oh, God. This isn't Patreon. This is anyone who wants to do it. On Sundays, we do a thing called the watch party. And Creep Mom, Teresa B., she had set up she posts every week an event, and it happens on every Sunday. It's usually paranormal-related, but we've been doing some true crime stuff. And no matter what we're watching, you can watch it with us because she's streaming it. So let's say we're watching something on Amazon or Discovery Plus or just some cable channel that you don't have. doesn't matter because she's streaming it, and you're watching it with us. So For free. Yeah. So you just need to sign in. Yeah, it's that easy, and it's like an AOL chat room. Like, you just talk while you're watching it. Okay, but where do they just sign in? A website that's under the Facebook event. Yeah, so go, if you're in the Facebook group, go to the events in the Facebook group, watch party, and you'll find the link. Yep, hopefully we will see you there. Okay, please let your story not be as fucking sad as last week, because I can't handle it. 
it is not that sad. Thank heavens. Yeah, I can't handle it either. A lot of y'all said y'all couldn't handle it either, and I listened. Yeah, leave the sad shit to me. (laughs) Right? All right. Well, we all want to have a space that we can feel safe and secure, and usually that's our home. But what happens when your home is the place you feel threatened and vulnerable? Well, this story is about Amy and Eric Mertz and their home, not-so-sweet home. So they're the Mertzes? Isn't that the name of Lucy? I love Lucy's. The Mertzes? Isn't that her neighbors that they're best friends with? Fred and Ethel Mertz? No idea. Oh, my God. Why do you not know any old TV? This is two weeks in a row. (laughs) Hold, please. I know. Lucy Ball. Okay, yes. That was her last name, Mertz. See, I don't need to know because Google lets you, Google's your best friend. And everyone else who's listening to this podcast and they're like, uh, yeah, that's her last name. Picture it. Kutztown, Pennsylvania, mid-1990s. Eric and Amy purchased the house from a sheriff's sale or an auction. I'm guessing a foreclosure kind of thing. And I'm not sure the timeline, like, if they were married at this point or not. But what I do know is that the house had previously belonged to Eric's grandparents. And he was the first to move in. And then a year later, Amy moved in as well. A little bit about the house. Amy describes it as a farmhouse style home, over 200 years old, and originally built by the Adams family. Da-da-da-da. I knew you were going to say it. I mean... I don't think you understand my love of old television. Apparently not. Did you watch The Munsters, though? Well, no, I watched The Munsters. Oh, it's that's it's Munster cheese. cheese. Oh, God. How do you know you're fat? When? But I love Munster cheese. <laughs> okay, well, mm, let's forget that happened. And back to the house. It's charming and in a way stately at the same time, but nonetheless very unassuming to others who live near or travel the country road it sits on. The first night that Amy slept over in the house, she was awoken from noises in the attic. She described the sounds as being similar to a ball rolling around or a rocking chair being rocked hard or even people walking. She laid there analyzing the sounds, scared but tried to reason it away, And finally, she did, and she drifted off to sleep. Now, like I mentioned before, Eric moved into the house before Amy did, and he heard noises, but he said he just thought it was a house settling. It's an old house. It's bound to make noises. And that was that. I wish I could be blissfully unaware like that, because I would be Amy in this situation, overanalyzing, freaking myself out more than is warranted in that situation, probably. Or thinking that way, like, oh my gosh, I'm overanalyzing it and I'm making it bigger. You know what I mean? Like making myself feel bad for being scared in that moment. I mean, what's the over-under on how long a house actually settles? I have no idea. (laughs) I mean, I know that's a thing, but is it really a thing for that fucking long? I mean, is it always, you know what I mean? I have no idea. I mean, I guess it's just in different situations because like the wood expands well in the soil and the rain and the yes i mean i understand all that but you know what i mean so i mean it changes season by season see i think at some point it's has to stop 
But I guess no, because... I mean, your bones keep popping every time. Why you gotta bring them into this? <laughs> well, I was gonna say, maybe not, because it's like the soil continues to erode. Mm-hmm. Hell if I know. Well, Eric wasn't a true believer yet, but Amy's two daughters, who were three and five, were. They're three and five, and they're like, I believe. And they never wanted to be alone in the house, and they heard the same noises that Amy heard. Okay. So that's what I mean. Like, they don't say, like, all the shit, but they hear the same things. Okay. Okay. Look, you were due a skeptical episode for me. I have been with you for a lot of episodes. You were due an episode for me to go. Mm. Well, you're always like that with kids. Well, next came the smells. But again, it was stuff that didn't really alarm them. They would get a whiff of Eric's grandmother's perfume sometimes. And I'll let you guess what that scent was. You should know if you pay attention to my stories. Sulfur? Her perfume scent. Well, I don't know. Lilac. It's always lilac. Oh, I'd have never in a million years guessed that. Well, if you don't want to be a ghost, don't wear anything with lilac or lavender undertones because it's always one of those two. Wait, that's what my baby powder is. Well, lavender, isn't it? It just smells like baby powder and like crush dreams. Oh, God. <laughs> Soul crushing. <laughs> I mean, look, you got to put baby powder in all of the creases. That does not help me. That hurts me. It makes a paste like Ross's leather pants. You you make no sense. You are an anomaly when it comes to... <laughs> Extra large pizzas, I bin, know. Yeah, like that makes literally no sense because most people who are big are like, no, no, no. Put that in all the fucking rolls. No. And I pretended like that was all my, but you know that was not all the places. And <laughs> I put that like. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I cannot do that. And. One time I went to Disney World and I was like, okay, I'm going to be so hot. You know, this is that Disney World trip that the first ride I went on, I um, sprained your ankle. Sprained my ankle. You didn't have to tell the people if they didn't remember it was a small world, okay? <laughs> I mean. It had to be told. You know, whatevs. <laughs> it had to be told. Well, it's that trip. So I was like, okay, okay, okay. Carrie always does this, and there's no back sweat that to be seen. There's none of this, and, you know, whoo, I'm going to be sweating it up. Holy shit, it's like I covered myself with a fucking, like... Powder. Oh, my God, I couldn't breathe. I was like, oh, God. And I was just in the bathroom. I was like, what the fuck? I can't breathe. It was not normal, and that day was the only day I ever did that because I was like, I am hot as balls. That's probably why I fucking tripped. I probably was sweating and my foot goes, whoop! You probably were weighed down. Lost your balance. Your, your fucking center of gravity was off. Yeah, it was off kilter. That's exactly what it was. Motherfucker. Well, quit trying to be like me. I, you know, and I had to do my ankle. Of course. Everything. I mean, that's what all the cool kids do. <laughs> On It's a Small World. <laughs> 
English. Anyway, look, if y'all can do powder, more power to you. More powder to you. But Okay. Uh, but I have to leave that shit alone. It's good shit, man. Oh, oh God. So the perfume wasn't really alarming. It was more comforting than anything. And then when his grandfather passed away, they would sometimes smell his coffee. And they're not coffee drinkers. So it wasn't like just, oh, they're brewing coffee. And I don't know how the situation was, but what I feel like in my head it was, Eric's grandmother died, and so his grandfather had to go into assisted living. Or maybe they both did, and that's why it went into foreclosure and went to that auction. I don't know. You don't have to spin a story in my head. And things were like that for a while. Some knocks here or there, phantom smells, etc. But a couple of years later, there started to be another smell. And it was the smell of... Sulfur. Thank you. Got it this time. Yes. I don't know what kind of... Look, if we ever do branded shit, we're not doing perfume because apparently Carrie thinks sulfur would be the smell. I mean, it was at one point. Yuck. I was correct at some point. (laughs) Perfume. Sulfur. No. No, Carrie. We're not using Axe body spray over here. And we know what that can mean, but Eric was thinking that it might be the neighbors burning something outside. Because they're in the country, that's what you do. Rake and burn. Or that's what my dad used to do a lot of. Anyway, Eric went out to investigate, and to his surprise, he found out that the smell was coming from inside the house. (laughs) They also started to see a lot of different orbs in different rooms of the house and outside. So it seems like there were always several in different locations around the property and the house. And they had different photos that showed the orbs in different locations. I know orbs is a touchy subject. Skeptics are like, hell no, that's dust. But then believers are like, hell yeah, that's an orb. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Carrie, she says, uh, that's dust or a bug. Pretty no, much. I'm not wrong. No, you're not. I'm going to tell y'all something else about Carrie oh, God. that y'all might not know. She loves mowing the lawn, like on a riding lawnmower. Yeah, not okay? a push mower. Yeah. Well, Amy also liked mowing the lawn. And she'd be outside, and usually she could hear... Like, someone with a gruff voice be like, hey. And so she'd look around, expecting it to be one of her neighbors or something. But she would always feel her eyes being pulled up to the attic. And there he was, this old man watching her from the attic window. And he was the one who was yelling, hey, to her. And it happened multiple times. Well, there was this one night, Amy was home alone, and she fell asleep. I think, you know, she's like watching TV just in her bed and didn't mean to fall asleep, but fell asleep. She pulled a Donna. Well, the next thing she remembers is that she felt the bed shaking and her arms were being held down to the bed. She tried to get up, but she couldn't move. Finally, after she tried and tried, she was able to break the unseen grasp of whatever was forcing her down to the bed. She made a mad dash to her bedroom door, but when she turned the doorknob, all she found was that it was being held shut by the same unseen force. 
She jiggled and twisted the handle as much as she could and finally got the door open. And Amy ran down the stairs and straight out of the front door and got into her car. She ended up driving around for an hour and a half that night because she didn't have anywhere else to go, but she couldn't be alone in the house for another minute after that nerve-wracking incident. I mean, I guess you could explain that away of the house settling and the wood was, like, swollen, and so the door stuck, question mark? Yeah, and, like, she had sleep paralysis before? I don't know. I don't know either. Well, she wasn't getting any good rest because of things like that happening, but also she would wake up sometimes and she had bruises on her that weren't there when she laid down to go to sleep. She said that it was terrifying that she was being attacked in her own house, her own bed, and she felt helpless. And then Amy started to actually feel the entity bonk her on the head. <laughs> I love that word, bonk. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that wasn't like a laugh moment, but God, I love the word bonk. <laughs> well, she thought it might be a one-time thing, but it turned out to be a regular occurrence. And you might think that would be the breaking point. But I think the real breaking point came when Sammy, their two-year-old Mastiff's behavior, changed. Mastiffs are really big dogs, and you wouldn't think they'd be scared of anything, but seems they're afraid of ghosts. Especially if they're being tormented by something unseen to their owners. Sammy luckily had a safe haven, and that was her crate, and she stayed in there as much as she could. She would often refuse to go outside, and at night, it was a real battle for the Mertz to get her to go outside to potty. This had always been a thing, but it had gotten worse over time. And it's like whatever spirit or spirits reside in the Mertz's home seemed to take pleasure in making Sammy uncomfortable. Don't fuck with the dog. At night, Sammy would act like she was being picked on by a sibling on a road trip. Poked and prodded, you know, the whole I'm not touching you thing. That just makes the other person wince because they think you're going to do it because you've done it so often. So Sammy was anxious and on high alert to invisible douchebags. And that's what I think the breaking point was. Because you know, you can do what you want to me, but don't touch my dog. Am I right? Right. I mean, it probably was a combo of physical harm to Amy and pestering to Sammy. But still, I think Sammy was the straw that broke the camel's back. Whatever the reason, Amy was finally at the point where she knew she needed help, and so she contacted a group called Spirit Paranormal. It was founded by Dominic and Sandy Ferrente. I probably butchered their last name, sorry. But they were a husband and wife duo, and in true family business style, their son is their tech supervisor. They're a not-for-profit group who offer consultations, investigations, and cleansings. Well, they were all gathered around the table doing the whole prelim meeting and Cindy saw a shadow passing through the living room. So they were like, okay, guess we need to do our walkthrough right now. Like the spirit's not waiting on us. So they made their way up to the attic because that was one of the major hotspots. Remember the rocking chair sound and everything that Amy had heard. That never went away. It just became the less intrusive of the events. So all of them were standing in the attic and Dominic is kind of squatting down and his back's against the wall of the attic and he's facing the stairs. 
And then he just kind of lunged forward a little bit. But it was because he had felt hands on his back. And he said it's as if the spirit was trying to push him down the stairs. So they were like, okay, well, we'll be back with our full team and do an investigation because we believe you. Let's jet. When they returned, they were in the attic and doing like a PG-13 style of provoking compared to old Dibbic Douche. They were just kind of like, hey, are you chicken to pick on someone who's prepared? You know, you could pick on Amy because she's unassuming. Like, pick on us. Well, there's an EVP that they captured and it goes, I'm no chicken. Uh-uh. Yeah. When they were downstairs setting up some equipment at the dining room table, Dominic looked up because the chandelier over the kitchen table was swaying around. He said the window was open, but there was not a strong enough breeze to make it move like this, and it moved for a solid four minutes, and then it just stopped on its own. He called Amy in there, and she was stunned because nothing like that had happened to her before, so this was new activity. And they have, like, video of this happening. After some more investigations, the group was sure that there was a demonic force in the house. Dominic was conducting a dousing rod session in Amy's bedroom. Well, when he instructed that the demons, you know, have to leave to get out, when he said that, he got shocked by the rods. You can see him on video, like he's like jolted, you know, And Amy was in the room, and she said, like, you could hear the electricity crackle through the rods. Damn. They did another cleansing, and you could audibly hear voices that sounded like screaming, they said. And then the team poured a bottle of holy water on Amy's body, and they had her drink some of it. And Amy was interviewed after, and she said that she felt amazing and that it was the first night that she had a restful night. In years. And they believe that there'll always be spirits in the house, but they believe the evil ones are now gone. In total, the house underwent four cleansings. And a lot of people ask, like, why didn't they just move? Because it was years that this went on, but they couldn't. They were upside down in the house, basically. And it was her husband's family home that they had basically rescued back. So they were attached to it, and financially, they just couldn't do it. Yeah, a lot of people can't just up and fucking move like that. Right. I know I couldn't. Me either. And if she had nowhere to go when she had to ride around waiting for Eric to get home that night that she got scared, like, obviously, they don't have a lot of support there, I feel like, or at least at that time, they didn't. You know, so at the very least, like family in the area or whatever. Well, the Spirit Paranormal team had been in business for more than four years at this point when they were dealing with her. And they said in that time, they had never seen anything as violent or as persistent as what they were dealing with in the Mertz's house. The Spirit Paranormal team was contacted by the producers of a TV show called My Ghost Story, and they were chosen to appear with Amy, and you can watch their segment on Season 5, Episode 3. I watched it on Amazon Prime, but I think you can get it on different things, but I did have to pay for it. Through all of their research, all of their stuff, what they learned is that at least 17 people died in that house throughout its history. 
Oh, shit. 11 adults and six children. Amy was told by a family friend that Raymond Adams' mother, remember it was originally built by the Adams family, Mm -hmm. that his mother was a witch. And, of course, she used to do hexings down in the basement. Another thing is that there's rumors of an Indian burial ground close by, and also there's Crystal Cave that isn't even a mile from their house. Like, they live on Crystal Cave Road, and that's touted as one of Pennsylvania's greatest natural wonders. It's actually Pennsylvania's first commercial cave. Anyway, so there's supposedly a stream that runs under the Mertz's house, and with Water and limestone, you know, it's supposedly has that effect on paranormal activity in that location. And also, Amy thinks that some of the home renovation that Eric did to the house kind of stirred up that activity. And through her going back through her childhood and thinking about what she had participated in and everything, she thinks the darker entity could have been attached to her from her teenage years, hence why it got worse when she moved in. And something else about Amy, she's a medium. Her grandmother was a medium, and so she had several experiences before this. And she's very open to spirit, which is probably why she was more of a target than her husband, Eric. She's also a cancer survivor, and so we know she's as tough as they come, And she and Eric will get through whatever is lurking in their house. And this is just an aside. I found her Twitter and she hasn't been on for a bit. But one of the last tweets was about how angry she was at Negan for killing someone on The Walking Dead. It's just funny to be able to connect these people we read about and watch a show about. Like this happened to them and they're just like us. Mm -hmm. So before you think it can't happen to you, think twice and it might not just be the pipes. Uh, actually, when you said that about the water like running there, I was like, ooh, that's a... Like, I knew that when you said that yeah. it was like a, like a power source, basically. I yeah. Like, ooh, ooh, I know that. I know that. You didn't know the lie, like, though. Look. It cancels it out. <laughs> you don't have a Beetlejuice shrunken head and have all that extra space for knowledge. <laughs> for, I mean... <laughs> that's what she says I look like, folks. Have a best friend, they said. They'll tell you you look like you have a shrunken head. You used to. Yeah. You think it was the opposite because I keep getting bigger. (laughs) Well, your head grows with you. Oh, okay. Well, thanks. So, oh, notice she didn't say you're not getting bigger. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, me too. (laughs) Oh, gosh. See, I listen. (laughs) Yeah, about you. No, the running water and the limestone thing you talked about. I knew that, too. But you didn't know about the lilac. Because that's minuscule. <laughs> I knew about the sulfur, too. Oh, God. I knew what dousing rods were, too. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> I'm glad we've been doing this for three years. Well, learn something. <laughs> Well, I thought we would do a ghost story. Yeah. And a happy ending. Yeah. I mean, unless you didn't want that person to die on The Walking Dead, then not so happy for you either. No, it wasn't a good, it wasn't good. And I don't want to spoil anything, 
Because one time I said something in a thank you video and Kara was like, oh my God, it's a spoiler. And I was like, that movie's like 20 something years old and that person still had not seen it. So I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'm not gonna ever spoil anything again. But I did not see a tweet how she was like, you know, had the hots for Negan. So we didn't bond over that. But Negan. Mm. So you think it was a demon? Mm, I don't know. Everything's a fucking demon. Yeah, I don't I don't think it I don't think it was a demon. I don't know. I don't know all of the facts, you know. But was it evil? Probably. Could it be a really low-level demon? Yeah. Cause I mean, when we think demon, we're like, holy shit, a demon. Which it's all like, holy shit, a demon. But I mean, there's levels. So it could have been like I mean, how do we know that though? I mean, like, who taught us like the hierarchy of demons. Like, how do we know who's, like, middle management demons? Everything has levels. But why? Because some people are worse than others. A.K.A. me than you. <laughs> You're worse than me? I know. No. I said, you just said it. No, I said me than you. Yes, you are worse than me. No. You, me than you means that you are worse than me. No. If you said... Say it again. <laughs> Guys, me, then you. Some people are no. worse than others. Me, then you. I said then, T-H-E-N. I just can't enunciate. Well, then you are worse than me. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, then doesn't make any sense. Me, then you. Oh. oh fuck. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, who decides the hierarchy of demons? I don't know. I don't want to meet them. But but for real, though, like, who is the CEO of demons? I mean, the devil. But who decides the devil? I don't know. Demon or not, it's evil. It was fucking with their lives, and I'm glad they got rid of it. Same. My story doesn't have so much of a happy ending. We were doing a happy episode. Were we? Uh, yeah. You didn't get that memo? <laughs> I must have gone to my junk mail. Okay, picture it. August 6, 1992. Dauphin County, Pennsylvania. Ooh, same state mine's in. Why are you copying? I literally didn't even put that together. Mm-hmm. There was a young black woman named Clara Johnson. She had been out to the bar named Uptown Grill, which is a bar in Harrisburg. She had done her night of partying, and she was waiting outside for a cab. A guy pulls up and offers her a ride. He has a friend with him, and she's like, okay, but your friend has to stay with us. Like, it can't just be me and you, but if your friend's with us, that's fine. The driver agreed, and she got in the car, and they took off. Well, the driver, he didn't hold his end of the bargain up. Imagine that. It's one of my stories. The first thing he did was drop his friend off. The driver's name is Joseph Miller. He tells Clara that he's got to stop off at this gas station because he needs to get some gas and some cigarettes. After he gets back in the car, instead of going towards... Her house, he starts driving the wrong way. What the fuck? That's when she starts to fucking panic. Yeah. 
He tells her that she's not going anywhere, and he starts driving even faster. So she's panicking even more. I'm assuming that the girl knows some sort of crimes. She's watched some kind of crime stuff because she knows don't go to another location, and she tries to get the fuck out of the car. So she opens the door to try to jump out of the car. But as soon as she opens the door, he slams on brakes, forcing the door like to a, to like slam shut, and it bonks her in the head. And so it like dazes her because they were going so fast, and then it immediately slammed on brakes. It hit her so hard that she's like seeing Tweety Bird flying around. Yeah. Well, she ends up falling out of the car. Fuck. And so she starts running. And Joseph is trying to run her over with his car at this point. Holy shit. But she's still kind of dazed from getting hit in the head. And she ends up falling down this embankment. But Joseph doesn't give up. He ends up finding her about a half a mile away from where she went down the embankment. As soon as he finds her, he beats her Mm. and then rapes her. Oh my gosh. Then, he takes a beer from a cooler that he had packed with him. Oh my gosh. And drinks it. The audacity to have her laying there beaten and raped. And for him to just fucking pop a top on a cold one. Yeah. And just sit there like a fucking narcissistic piece of shit that he is. Yeah, like job well done. <laughs> exactly. Ugh. Like, it's the beer version of lighting a cigarette after sex. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just like... How fucking dare you? You know, and she's terrified laying there. Yeah. And he's just taking a, taking a breather, take, drinking his beer. Oh. After he gets done with his beer, he gets some duct tape and tapes her up with a duct tape and then takes a knife and puts it to her throat. And he tells her that he was going to rape her again. And he said, after that, I'm going to kill you. And he tells her all women are alike and that he has killed other women. Does he have a name tag that says, hi, I'm an incel? I mean, he may as well. Also, like he has duct tape and everything just in his car. Yeah, he has a fucking kill kit in yeah. his car. Yeah, wow. Yes, it's a kill kit. Oh, oh, what's his name, Joseph? Uh-huh. Miller? Yes, Joseph Daniel Miller. Oh, Okay. He goes by Joey, too, but I'm not calling him that. Joseph ends up raping Clara again and repeatedly beating her and even used the beer bottles to beat her in the head. Then he grabbed her by the legs and dragged her for about a half a mile down to this ditch by where his car was parked. He takes his duct tape and he wraps it over her mouth and her nose. Her mouth and her nose? Yes. Yeah. Whoa. So, it's important to note that where he took her was by the railroads, but it was right at this Conrail station. And so, while all this is happening, all of a sudden, Joseph sees headlights coming at him. And it was like fucking divine intervention. The universe, the stars, God, whatever you believe, all aligned, all the things... And Joseph sees these headlights, and it happened to be a Conrail security guard because somebody had reported trespassing. Oh, my gosh. And so he's coming up on the scene as Joseph is dragging 
Clara into this ditch. So Joseph sees the security guard before he even sees Joseph. And Joseph takes off on foot, like hauling ass, getting out of Dodge. Well, at this point, Clara is, God love her, so weak from the beatings and everything that at first, the security guard doesn't even see her. Well, she can't even be like Kate Winslet in Titanic and be like the little breathy, like, come back come back because she can't fucking breathe because he has her nose and her mouth. Right. And she's completely naked. So she's literally just squirming and like writhing in the dirt to get his attention. Oh my gosh. They say that when they found her, the hole was already dug. Fucking premeditation at its fucking finest here. Exactly. So when the security guard finds her, of course, well, take the duct tape off, but call an ambulance, call police. And when police get there, they find Joseph's car. Ooh. So the bloody knife was stuck in the window well of the car. So they had a weapon for the attempted murder. Then they were able to run all the license plates and VIN numbers and all the things on the car to see that, oh, okay, this car is registered to Joseph Miller. In the trunk of the car, they found his murder kit. Basically, you know, all the the duct tape, well, I mean, of course, the, the knife that we already talked about. And then, of course, outside of the car, they see the hole that's already dug for a body to be buried in. It doesn't take long for police to track down the residence of Joseph Miller. So by 6 a.m., they arrive at his house. When they get there, Joseph is actually there at his house with his wife and their two kids who were like, I think, seven and five. And then his wife was pregnant. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So... When the police get there, Joseph again takes off running. He climbs up to the roof of this apartment building that I think is three stories tall. And he threatens to jump to die by suicide. They end up having a six-hour standoff with him on this roof. But police finally convinced him to come down. And they arrested him and charged him with rape, aggravated assault, kidnapping, and attempted murder of Clara Johnson. So when police got him to the station, they read him his Miranda rights, and he was like, yeah, I'm good. I don't know an attorney. Like, I'm good. I didn't do anything wrong. We had consensual sex, and we just got into an argument. It's fine. Like, "Mm, but did you, though? Uh, So why did you stand on the roof for so many hours? And why'd you run? Mm-hmm. And why was she bound and gagged? And why was there a hole dug? <laughs> but okay. And oh. you left your car and a, a bloody weapon. knife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I don't mean that in the British way. I mean an actual bloody knife. <laughs> yes. So, of course, while all this is going on, they're trying to gather as much information as they can about him. And for all intents and purposes, he seems to be leading a pretty normal life. He jumps from job to job. He has a lot of construction-type 
work that he does. Again, he's married. He has two kids with one on the way. They knew that he had a long rap sheet. He had basically been in and out of trouble his whole life from the time he was a kid. Just petty shit. Mostly theft and that kind of thing. But when they're doing the interview with him, Joseph lets them know that Clara isn't the first. Which... He's such a narcissist. So it's like, are you telling the truth? But also, kind of not surprising. I mean, he was so fucking prepared. I know. See, okay, at first when you said he had a thing dug, a hole dug, I was like, okay, now I'm going to leave him that she's not the first. But then he ran and left everything behind. And so then I'm like, okay, now I don't believe you. Well, he tells police that there were two others. And he says that he can name one, but he's like, I can't remember the name of the other. And so they're like, okay, well, can you at least tell us about it? Can you tell us where bodies are? Like, can you tell us anything? And so he tells police that the first one's name is Selena Franklin. And then again, he says that he can't remember the second one's name. And that he tells police that their bodies are dumped in a landfill. So police give him like an aerial view of the landfill to like circle where it is. That this part, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but this is like after he's basically confessed to these two crimes, they take him out so that he can show them where the bodies are and they want him to circle on this aerial view where the bodies are. And he just starts cracking up in the car, just starts busting out laughing. And they're like, what the fuck are you laughing at? And he's like, oh, I made all this up. There aren't any other bodies. Oh my gosh. And police are like, Nah, he li- he's like, this is what he's lying about. There are more bodies. Like you mm-hmm. don't like you don't tell us what you told us. You don't like with like the detail and the, all of that. Like, nah, he he's fucking lying. Now he's trying to backpedal because now we're about to go find his shit. Yeah. Also, I wonder what made him choose a new location. Since these two bodies, if they are real, haven't been found. No one was looking for them, apparently. Who knows? But they've been unsolved. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. why change it up? It wasn't like, oh, shit, I have to go in here because she's trying to get away because the hole was dug. So he chose that for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, Joseph, don't fix what's not broken, Sir, I mean, glad you did because uh, you got caught, but... Right. You know what I mean? like Right. Well, and I thought it was pretty interesting how he did this, too. Because when he confessed, he waited about five days from his arrest from the attack on Clara. Because at first he was like, this was all consensual sex. We had an argument, blah, 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 blah. And then five days later, he was like, okay, you know what? I actually want to meet with a detective. And then when he meets with a detective, he's like, hey, can you get me a meeting with the district attorney? Like, I'll, I'll give you the shit, but you got to get me a meeting with the district attorney. And then when he's meeting with the district attorney, he's like, okay, I'm going to give you all this shit, but I want the death penalty. What? Because he says that he's an embarrassment to his family and he doesn't want to be an embarrassment anymore. So, therefore... He wants the death penalty now. Oh, you're tugging at my heartstrings, Joseph. Wah, I know. Wah. I know. 
This is his story about Selena. Selena Franklin and some of her friends were out hitching some rides, and he picked them. What? Hitching what? Because I said hitching some rides? Yeah, hitching some rides. What are they? At a fair? Well, they, like, apparently that was a thing they did. Like, they were just, like... I don't know, car haul. I don't know. Okay. Apparently, it's a thing they did. I don't know. Okay. It's what I had heard. Okay. So, we're on the streets. <laughs> hey, can you take me up only uh, two two blocks? Just Look, let us out here. They were the original Uber users. Right. So, Selena and some of her friends taking rides. They all got in the car with Joseph Miller. And he took all of her friends home. And Selena was the last one in the car. He and Selena had made an agreement to have sex for like $35. I don't know if she was a sex worker, if it was like a, like a known thing that she was a sex worker. I don't know if this was like a one-time thing. I don't know her history, but allegedly they made a deal to have sex for $35. He said that he paid her, they had sex, and right after they had sex, something just switched in him, according to him. And he beat her to death. He then took the $35 out of her fucking pocket and kept it. Wow. Mm -hmm. He took her body to the landfill and buried it. Well, here's the thing. Police had actually questioned him about her disappearance because they knew that he was one of the last people she was seen with because that's what her friend said. Like, he's the one that gave us the ride, but there was literally nothing to connect them other wow. than, like, he was the last one to give her a ride. And so they moved on, right? Because it was literally, there was literally no evidence. Yeah. Well, he got the heebie-jeebies from that interview with police. So, like, that next day, he went and moved her body at the landfill. Wow. So, it's like, if they would have just fucking watched him, they yeah. would have seen him move her body. Wow. When he moved her body, he took some of her clothes and just, like, scattered it about throughout the landfill. And then even took the, like, pipe thing that he hit her with to kill her. Because that had been buried beside her, like b underneath or beside her. Originally, he ditched that too somewhere in the landfill when he was spreading out her clothes too. Then he even came back to her body a few months later just to check on things. And he saw some of her bones sticking out. So he took those out like he's fucking picking weeds. Took those out and like scattered those too. Then he told detectives that after that is when he killed someone else that he can't remember their name. But he said that he knew that it was sometime in 1989. To back up, I'm sorry, I don't think that I said that Selena Franklin disappeared in May of 87. I would be this person. I would be the person that the killer's like, I got someone else, but I can't remember their name. He did, though. Uh -huh. He's just trying, because you'll know why in a second. So, he did the exact same thing to the second victim, whose name was Stephanie McDuffie. Picked her up off the street. Again, this all happened in Harrisburg. Offered her a ride. Had sex with her, a.k.a. raped her. And then viciously beat her with a pipe. Took her to the landfill and disposed of her body. 
this is why he didn't want to remember her name or pretended like he didn't remember. Stephanie was eight months pregnant. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Oh my gosh. He is a monster. Joseph Miller is white. And all of his victims were black, African-American. And they were all either like really tall or just like bigger women. Like not like extra large pizza bigger, but like large pizzas. Just like tall like, Claire was six feet tall. They, You know, like, none of them, they weren't petite, I guess I should say. So, that was kind of his victimology. After they took him to the landfill, and he's like, oh, ha, 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 lied, blah, blah, blah. Police look through the landfill. They're looking, and it takes about a week before they finally find their bodies. Unfortunately, they never found the full intact remains of Selena Franklin, but they did find Stephanie... McDuffie, and the skeletal remains of her fetus. So because he confessed, but then kind of, ha, 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 oh, I, I actually lied, this all went to trial. And so his defense really tried a lot of different tactics to get him off of this crime. So let's just talk a little bit about his background. So Joseph Miller does have an intellectual disability. He dropped out of school when he was in the fourth grade, which is like, how, I mean, how is that even possible? But he was born in 1964. So it's like, I don't know at what point the laws changed that you had to go to a certain grade. And again, back then it was, I mean, it hasn't been that long that it's called an intellectual disability and not mental retardation. I mean, people still use, I mean, that's my R word, you know? And so people still use that word in their daily vernacular to describe silliness or ridiculousness or, you know, that kind of thing or something that they deem quote unquote stupid, you know? So it's not unheard of that he would be able to drop out at such a young age, especially with an intellectual disability. So I don't know what his actual IQ is, but I know for the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is kind of like the Bible for psychological diagnoses, like the criteria and, and all of that, I know there's a six out, but I couldn't, I couldn't find it, but it was a quick search. But anyway, I know that for that, it's an IQ of 70 or below to be diagnosed with an intellectual disability. So he's at least an IQ of 70 or below. So that kind of gives you an idea of at what level he was functioning at. We're going to talk about that more because I see your wheels turning, but we're, we're going to, we're going to get there. So growing up though, he was bullied a lot in school. And I think that that was probably part of him dropping out, but that was just, that's just my assumption. They say that he also had anterograde amnesia. And so like you always hear retrograde amnesia where someone can't remember past events. So anterograde amnesia is where they have a hard time remembering new information. So again, that would make it very, very difficult for him to succeed in school and that kind of thing. Well, his parents were 
exactly what you think that they would be for someone like him, very emotionally and physically abusive to him. And there was a lot of sexual abuse happening in his life. He was sexually assaulted by an uncle, and then his sister was actually being raped by their father. And she accused him of the incest and of the rapes. And she actually, in 1970, gave birth to a daughter. And she went to the police and did what she could for help. But her mom and all these other relatives were giving her fucking death threats and all this shit so that she would not like keep pressing charges on her dad for raping her. And so she ran away from home. What in the actual fuck? I know. Well, because she ran away from home and all of that, and it's fucking 1970, they questioned the legitimacy of her claims. Uh Instead of being like, oh, they probably are fucking threatening her. Right. I mean, of course she doesn't feel comfortable going home. She's fucking being raped. Right. And it's 1970, so they can't just fucking do a DNA test Mm -hmm. to prove it. So here we are. Because, of course, she's not going to want to go back to that house after she's fucking accused him of that. And then her own mother doesn't stand by her side. Yeah. Of course, she's not going to want to go back to that house. So, that's just a little bit of what he was dealing with at school, at home. He had an older brother that he looked up to. And that's who kind of took him under his wing and showed him how to be a criminal. And even by the... Oh, lovely. Right. And... By the age of nine, he was already drinking and getting drunk. And, I mean, again, we know what alcohol does to a developing brain. Yeah. So, at one point, when he was 12, some people beat him up. Like, it was a street fight. They beat the shit out of him. And he didn't handle the loss very well. So, he went back to his house, got a fucking gun, and went back and found the people who beat him up, and shot them. One of them got injured. And so he was arrested and convicted, sent to juvie. While he was in juvie, of course, continued being bullied, being beaten. They say that he was even beaten by some of the guards, but I don't know. And then as soon as he got out, same thing. Crimes, drugs, had an overdose that almost killed him. So you can imagine, I'm going to assume that led to a little bit of brain damage, even more. But eventually, in 1984, that's when he moved to Harrisburg and met and got married, had his kids, started working, and started his killing spree. So all of this comes out at trial. And they say that basically... Don't hold him responsible because of all the shit from his childhood, from his intellectual disability, all the things. Well, it didn't work. He was found guilty and sentenced to death. Well, it came down to the wire. I'm talking like governor had signed, like he had a date of execution. And the Supreme Court had said like, he's good to go, like kill him. And a judge said, nope, because of his intellectual disability, it's cruel and unusual punishment. You can't do it. 
So his death sentence was commuted, and he has two life sentences to be served consecutively and like a 15-year sentence for the assault. But it's like, what the fuck? Because while I understand that, yes, he does have an intellectual disability and we have to protect people who do not understand the process and they do not understand what they're confessing to and the Brennan Dassey's and the, you know, I... Look, the OT in me, I 100% agree with that. And I'm not talking about the death penalty. I'm not I'm not even touching that. I'm talking about him. He fucking knew what he was doing. He had a kill kit. He had a plan. He had every fucking thing in place. And then when he confessed, he requested a meeting with the detective Remember how it was like five days later yeah. and he was like, hey, I want to talk to the detective. He requested that meeting with the detective through a counselor with the county mental health slash, it's like mental health slash mental retardation program, which they got to work on that title because that's not yes. current language, but it's what it's called. So he had a counselor yeah. that was like helping him with all of this. He waived his Miranda rights, all the things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. He made the decision to go back to the bodies multiple times to mm-hmm. move things. To you know, there were plans in place. This yeah. was not a. He may have made a decision on who he killed spur of the moment, but ultimately his acts. It was a process. It was planned. Again, I'm not even talking about the death penalty. I'm, that's not even part of this. I'm talking about. This one person, to me, his intellectual disability did not play a part. No, he had the capacity to to do exactly what he did. He knew. Exactly. Exactly. And even if his killings were random, he still had a victimology. Like, he still had those certain things he looked for. Exactly. And that didn't waver. So... And he had the... These aren't all the words I want to say because they're leaving my brain right now. But he had the social skills. He had the planning. He had the manipulation. He had all of those in place to be or or capabilities to be able to pick somebody up, get them in his car, with or without friends, mm-hmm. drop the friends off, or keep them in the car while he dropped his friend off. Yeah. While he stopped to get cigarettes and gas and she still didn't get out of the car. So he had some sort of quality like communication some yeah. sort of really good social skills yeah of, of, of social intellect i guess i should say like he had something that kept them in his grasp yeah well after all of that happened and his sentences were commuted flash forward to 2016 meanwhile all this while he is still in communication with his kids joseph is essentially illiterate and so the ways that he communicates with his kids is through like drawing and all of that i'm sorry how did he get his license well people can they they make accommodations they can read they can read the test to you i think and stuff like that as long as you know what the signs are you can pass yeah you can you can not be able to read i mean think about how many people can't read yeah, but what if they have the new things, like, when it's, like, bridge out up ahead? No. Well, that's, no. 
It, you can you can have a driver's license and not be able to read. I did not know that. Really? Honestly. Okay. Well, you have to think about the. Okay, you have to think about the amount of population that can't read even today. It's way more than you think. No, I I do get that. And so they all have driver's licenses. They have jobs. They have driver's licenses. They have things that they do. My mind is blown. Well, I mean, a stop sign's a stop sign. Whether you can read the word stop or you see it's an octagon that's red. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, when they have the flashing stuff. Well, you just go with the flow of traffic. You just do what everybody else does. What if you're the only car on the thing? You're shit out of luck. But I hope you can swim. What if it's just you and some car behind you? And because, like, then, how you freak out and then you kill the person behind you. Oh, my God. It's not going to happen. How do you know? I don't. But, well, you said it as an absolute. But the chances are slim to none. And that's very ableist to not give someone a driver's license because they can't read. Because they are perfectly capable of driving and not being able to read. Because here's the thing. They're not just going to have like a flashing sign that says bridge out, bridge out. They're going to have fucking barricades. And you can't go further. Like it's not going to be like a cartoon and you're going to like Roadrunner fly off of it. It's going to be, they're going to have barricades up and you're not just going to drive through the barricades. Well, I don't know. I've never been with a bridge out. (laughs) Like there's safety measures in place. To keep, you know what I mean? This is not going to keep them from doing something because they can't read a sign. And like, even if there's a sign that's flashing that says, road work ahead, right lane closed, like, there's still going to be signs that show you right lane closed that don't have words. Yeah. My mind is blown. Continue about how he communicated with his kids. So, they drew pictures. That's how he communicated with them. And they took his crayons away in prison. And he was pissed. And he was like, you took my crayons away. That's my way of communicating with my kids, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you still have a pen? Do you still have a a pencil? Do you still have paper? You can communicate with your kids. Yes. I did not pity that at all. No. Because you still have a way to communicate with it. They did not take your way of communicating with it. They took your flair away. Yeah. They took your pizzazz away. They took your unicorn away. They did not fucking take... They took your rainbow. They did not fucking take your way of communicating. Can you still fucking draw them a picture? Yes, you can. Quit your bitching. Right. All right, let's go back to, like I said, 2016. Joseph Miller reaches back out to detectives because he says now he wants to clear his conscience. So police read him his rights like 1,700 times, and they're like, you you, you sure? Like, you, you sure about this? Like, these are your rights. Like, you can have an attorney. You sure? And he's like, yeah, 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 I'm good. I want to I clear my conscience. They're like, okay, you sure? He tells detectives that he wants to confess to some more murders. He tells police about a girl named Jeanette Thomas. Jeanette Thomas was killed around January 11th of 1990. She was also African-American. But here's the thing. There was another man named William Kelly who actually confessed, pled guilty, and was sentenced to the murder of Jeanette Thomas and was serving 10 to 20 years in prison for this. 
What? And Joseph said that he had met her at this bar. They'd gone out drinking. And that, again, same thing. Took her to the landfill to have sex. Allegedly, they got into an argument about money. But he said that she wasn't a sex worker. But allegedly, the argument was about money. He says Jeanette slapped him. And that's what sent him over the edge. And so he picked up a tire iron that just happened to be nearby. Uh Uh-huh. And hit her over the head until it killed her. Fuck. He said that he didn't know that someone had been arrested and confessed to this murder until he got to prison. And that's when he was like, um, fuck. (laughs) He was like, uh, wait, you didn't do that. Yeah. So there was actually some, some DNA left from the rape. And so they ran it. And it was not William Kelly's. It was Joseph Miller's DNA. Wow. And so they ended up releasing William Kelly for this murder that he confessed to and was sentenced, found guilty to, that he didn't fucking do. Wow. Because he was probably coerced to... There's no fucking telling. I don't... I didn't... I didn't really dig, to be honest, that much into it. Because this was such a long story. Yeah. I mean... That could probably be a whole nother fucking story. Mm-hmm. Then he said that Kelly Ann Ward, she went missing February of 1986. So he says that he met Kellyanne at this bar in Harrisburg. So they met at a bar. She was a sex worker. They went for a walk to be like, okay, ne- you know, negotiate a price for the, for the sex. They settled on like 20 or $25. So... He drove them over to his brother-in-law's house so he could get the money. He said that they partied a little more while they were there. Then they rode out to the landfill so they could hook up. And once they got there, had sex, he says that they fought over the money because she wanted more. And he was like, no. And she was like, well, I'm going to fucking call the cops. So he killed her for that. Well... Her remains weren't found until 1997. Wow. But it wasn't until 2014 that they even knew who she was. Holy shit. Yeah, the FBI is actually who identified her body. And it wasn't until 2016 that he confessed. Well, then there's another victim that was the only one that was not... Black or African-American, depending on how they identify. Kathy Novina Schnick, she was mixed Sioux Indian and French Canadian. She had a hard life. She was adopted when she was five because she was one of 16 kids. Mm. And then she had been through like seven different foster homes. Finally, when she aged out, she got married just as a way to like get the fuck out kind of thing. yeah. Anyway, she ended up being picked up by Joseph. And when she tried to run away from him, he ran her over with his car multiple times, crushing her to death. Oh, gosh. And then there's one last victim to tell about. And we don't know her name. And she's the only other victim to survive. This actually happened just like 37 days before he kidnapped and raped Clara, the other victim that survived. 
But again, we don't know this victim's name. Sidebar, for Clara, there was like one or two things that did call her Jane Doe, but everything else called her by name, and he was convicted of her crime. And so I just didn't get the feeling that that one was, let's keep her name under wraps, you know? So that's why I used her real name. You know, there are a lot of times that you can tell when the victim's name is like, kept secret. I honor I really do try to honor that and keep it secret, but I don't I don't feel like that when she was trying to keep that private. So but for this one, we don't know her name. But she too was abducted in Harrisburg, but he took her across county lines into Perry County. He raped and beat her and then keep in mind she survived. He stabbed her 23 times in the head with a screwdriver. What? And he left her to die. And she, like, crawled her way to some home. Like, in the like I'm picturing, like, in the country, like, this isolated house. Like, because everything says it was isolated. Yeah. So, I'm picturing, like, deliverance, isolated country wow. home. And... She fucking, with all these stab wounds, like, crawled her way there and survived. Wow. So, there was some, like, back and forth of taking him back to court and all of that. But, bottom line is, he's spending the rest of his life in prison. Well, it's official. I hate him. Oh, he's the fucking worst. Mm, not the worst. Well, he's the fucking pits. Mm-hmm. He's the amoeba on fleas on rats. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, and you know, it's like, screw you for wanting to clear your conscience. Also, thank you for telling us that and getting that one guy out of prison. But yeah. fuck you. Yeah, but that's, it's, it's like, screw you, but also, thank you. But how long was he in prison? Like, yeah. Oh, gosh. And then, like, what made him do that? But it's like, at what point would he have stopped? If it had not been for that one security guard showing up when they did and Clara being saved. Right. Because, I mean, it was the end. Yeah. I mean, she was spent. There was, I mean, there was nothing, you know. Yeah. I mean, she had fought as hard as she could fight. Yeah. I will say, you know how strongly I feel about this, is that I did see some a little bit of an interview with one of his kids and they were talking about just the amount of hate that they have gotten and that like chaps my ass. Yeah. Because they were like seven, five and in the womb. Right. When this happened. They, they literally had nothing. nothing to do with this. They are doing their best to probably cope and move on and try to have some semblance of a relationship with a father so that they have, you know, some semblance of mental health. Yes. And to come after them for what he did is not fucking fair. And that goes for any family member of mm-hmm. a killer. It's yeah. not like they were part of the planning and... They didn't get arrested. Like, exactly. They had nothing to do with it. They are victims yeah. themselves. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I feel so strongly about that, about the families of the criminals becoming 
criminals in the eyes of society. Mm -hmm. And that's not fucking fair. And the children really are victims because they're losing their parent. Mm -hmm. And they have no idea why. And then they have to grow up and learn why. And have to reconcile that. Right. And and literally through no fault of their own, through no, no, nothing they did or could do or could change anything. Yeah. Ugh. That's why it's just fucking important to just fucking be kind. Yeah. This is not the same at all, but I just watched this uh, last night and it's called Roll Red Roll. And I know. And it's about a rape in a high school. I don't know where it was, but... Good story. I know. Look, it was late one night, okay? Who am I? The Monster Mash? I was working in the lab <laughs> late one night. Late one night. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Well, land the plane, Donna. I know. So, these kids raped this girl, and it was like football players, you, you know, as it is on a Netflix special... But there's this uh, crime blogger, and she was scouring Twitter and saw these kids posting about it. Is this a true story? Yeah, it's a true story. And she saw them posting about it. And it was like, dude, she was like dead, like all this stuff. And so she's like, what the fuck are they talking about? You know? So she was like, and put her armchair detective shirt on. You can get it on a merch store. And... She, like, went through, and there was a YouTube video, <gasps> and it was of them talking about it. And, you know, just, like, talking about that. And then someone had posted a picture of them, like, the people, like, the guys with the girl, but they weren't engaging in the act. But, like, she was out. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And so, like, it was definitely, oh, okay. So she reposted that, but pixelated Jane Doe out, you know, enough where you could tell, okay, that's not a good picture, you know, but posted that out and was like, called out the city and called out whatever and was like, what's up with this? You know, like, that's not okay. And she got death threats. She got sued for defamation of character, like all this that's kind of so shit. fucked up. Yeah. But then, um. Are you gonna tell the whole fucking story? Nope. Not at all. That's not what I was going to do. But you should watch it. (laughs) But anyway, I was just thinking, like, she got attacked, and she was just doing what people needed to do. Yeah. Because that girl was going to get no justice. You were going to tell the whole fucking story. I was. I was going to tell it. Well, at least your story was kind of lighthearted today. Yeah. It it wasn't um, that. Yeah. It wasn't yours. But, of course, we ended with yours. Why are we never... On the same page. You're like, we're never right. I'm always right. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Okay. You saying that right now means you're wrong. It's opposite day. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all know we want to know what y'all think. Yes. On a scale from 1 to 10, how much do you hate Joseph Miller? I'm at a 20. There was also two Joseph Millers whenever I was looking this story up. Because... Somebody had sent me in a different Joseph Miller to do. And this one was like kept popping up and kept popping up and kept popping up. And I was like, let me just do him first. But the other one. Is he worse? No, but yes, but no. 
It's just different. I don't honestly know if I'm going to be able to do him because I don't know if I can find enough on him. But there were two. And we hate them both. Ugh. I mean, Joseph Miller's turning into Michael fucking Peterson. (laughs) Well, thank y'all so much for listening. Hey, oh, and you know what? We saw all those reviews because I know we talked about them last week. Yes. So we saw y'all. So thank y'all so much. We still aren't in a thousand, but we are. <laughs> I mean, that was some shade, but we are so much closer. <laughs> we really are. We're closer. We're, we're like halfway there now. Instead of 40 away, we're 20 away. So thank y'all so much, those of you who did reviews. <laughs> thank y'all so much, those who did the reviews. Those who didn't, well, will you now? <laughs> <laughs> Please. Please, please. <laughs> We're talking about on uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now. So anyway. Yeah. Um, we don't know why it helps, but it helps. Yeah, something about things. Something about numbers and algorithms and things neither one of us fucking understand. I can't even spell algorithm. Right. Much less do one. So. <laughs> the shade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing shade to everyone. Right. But for real. Thank you for listening. Thank you for writing reviews. We really do appreciate it. And remember. Uh, and remember that Carrie can throw shade at us only because she's wearing two different shades of pink right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean. I'm not wrong. You're not. Actually, three if you count my watch. <laughs> I mean, Colby's so lucky with my uh, sleep attire. <laughs> I mean, who? Okay, I'm sorry. We can go to the real outro. Okay. Uh, um, and remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared. <laughs>